The state of Texas is not only one of the largest economies in the world, but a showcase of American diversity, ingenuity, and confidence. Today's guest, Genevieve Collins, is the Texas State Director of Americans for Prosperity. She's looking for new ways to make the Texas experience a model for the nation. Collins, a seventh-generation Texan, businesswoman, congressional candidate, and education reform pioneer, believes, as George Washington did, that happiness and morality go hand in hand. Now that's a lesson all of America should heed. From Ballard Studios' satellite venue in Tampa, Florida, it's 13th and Park. We give you information, not a panic attack. We look what's going on. I mean, my God, this was it. My kids were gonna die. That time is gone forever. This is the biggest story in America. We weren't prepared for this. Don't you want to speak truth to power? Toughest thing I ever had to do. Genevieve, welcome to the show. Welcome to 13th and Park. All I can tell you is I heard so much about you and your background, your credentials. But what really intimidates me now is what I see over your right shoulder, because <laughs> that lion is looking right at me. And I know if he doesn't like any of the questions that I ask, we're probably both going to hear from him. Texas is a very big place and it has a very big perspective on everything. And you kind of coined the phrase freedom is bigger in Texas. So explain that to us. So freedom is bigger in Texas is really this notion. How do we continue to embody the spirit of Texas? How do we honor the past? How do we live and contribute to the present while also forecasting innovation into the future? And so freedom is bigger in Texas is really about honoring the Texas spirit and, and making sure that more people feel connected to what Texas is, what Texas has been, and what Texas is growing into. Since there are over 1,300 people moving to Texas every day, why wow. not make sure that these folks feel really a part of this incredible state, this belief that freedom is bigger here and that they have a unique contribution to add to it. Beyond all the people that are now moving to Texas, I like to think a lot of people also are moving where I am today in Florida. What is it about Texas that's changed or is changing that is creating both opportunities and challenges? Well, I think Texas is starting to become the epicenter of a lot of really interesting innovations. You know, when I think about freedom is bigger in Texas, I think about how do we also look at how Texas is changing? You know, Outside of New York City, Dallas, Texas has the most financial services jobs in America. 32,000 jobs in the financial services sector have moved to Dallas since 2019 alone. Plus, you've got the space industry here with Blue Origin and SpaceX and NASA. Plus, you've got the technology sector. We're moving Silicon Valley to Texas and we're calling it the Silicon Prairie. And it's gonna <laughs> connect Austin to Dallas, Texas, and Houston. So this kind of triangle corridor, we're calling it the Silicon Prairie. And you've got energy innovation, you've got fracking was developed just 90 minutes south of where I am here in Dallas. And you've got all of these incredible innovations happening here. And how do we make sure that people are brought into that with the spirit that we have is this, an innate sense of optimism. You've got capital and access to capital here. And you've also got this attitude that's like, no, don't mess with Texas. And so the opportunities are endless for the people that are both here and people that are coming here. 
and that's kind of your chamber of commerce message, right? That it's kind <laughs> yeah. of limitless in Texas. And that's why all these people are moving there. Are there certain parts of Texas where the in-migration has been beyond what was expected and what the reason for that might be? I would say Austin, Texas, our state capital has really evolved. It has become the tech hub. I think a lot of Northern California, Silicon Valley folks have found a new haven in Austin because, you know, Austin's motto is keep Austin weird. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that that natural kind of eclecticness, that hippie vibe, it's a little more relaxed, has really ushered in a new era and a new industry into Austin that has probably had the most changes in the state. And, you know, if you just go to Austin by yourself, you can see that there are cranes everywhere. So we really should rename the state bird from the mockingbird to a crane because there is so much building that is happening here and you can really live any way you want and have the quality of life you want at a price you can afford. You are a seventh generation Texan. Now, what does that mean? What was what was it like seven generations? Who was there seven generations ago? So I just missed being a daughter of the Republic because my family got here in 1846. I just learned that a relative of mine, I thought that we got here in 1851 and my dad just went through our family archives and said, no, we're five years earlier. We're 1846. And so, you know, I think for Texans, what you need to know is like how we judge each other. It's not really like, oh, wow, how do you look? It's like, oh, well, what generation are you? It's a weird thing that's only in Texas, but it happens all the time. People really have roots here and uh, and judge each other based on it. Well, obviously, America has come to know your governor pretty well over the last couple of years, uh, Governor Abbott, who I think it's fair to say never lacks courage and the willingness to take on tough challenges. Obviously, one of the biggest challenges uh, he and the state continue to face, and they're not alone, of course, is illegal immigration. And we just read that he was talking about uh, dedicating an 80-acre space to put those people, men and women in uniform, down in Eagle Pass. Where is that issue right now, Genevieve, in terms of the people of Texas? And how united are they to try to say, basically and collectively, enough's enough? Well, collectively, regardless of whether you're an R or a D, everyone knows that we have a border crisis. What Abbott has done incredibly well is making sure that everyone else in the rest of the country also knows it and feels some of the burden. You know, we've been taking the brunt of the burden for many, many moons and many years. And what we at Americans for Prosperity have done is really try to make sure that since we have a national network, I've been bringing in my peers and their activists and volunteers, and we bring them to McAllen, Texas. We bring them to see the Rio Grande River. We have them meet with Customs and Border Protection. We have them see what's happening in the real humanitarian crisis. Because my goal is to ensure that it's not just Governor Abbott who's standing strong, but that we are anointing border evangelists to say, wait a second, they're just starting here in Texas, but they could end up anywhere in the country. And we need to have meaningful border security laws. We need to make sure we have proper barriers. We need to close asylum loopholes. We need to make sure that there are more judges. And we need to make sure that we are investing in our CBP officers so that they have the resources that they need. 
but that this is not just a uniquely Texan problem. Yes, we've probably had hundreds of thousands of people come in just in the last four years, but this is an American problem. And we're working with the governor and his team, as well as the state legislature to shine a light on that and to really put pressure on the rest of the country and Congress to do their job. So colleagues that you brought down to the border, were they shocked by what they saw? Oh my gosh, Adam, I had people say, can I go put my feet into the Rio Grande River? I was like, I guess so. So we brought folks from Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, and North and South Carolina. This was last February. So we're at the water district in McAllen and you know, there's Mexico and we're standing on the edge of Texas. And someone from the Mexican side came down onto the riverbank and started blowing up a pontoon boat. And he looked at us, all 60 of us, and he goes like this. Like, we're the crazy people standing around looking at what the heck is going on in Mexico. And that impression imprinted on every single person there because they were finally able to see, like, this is a huge problem that... You know, the Mexicans and the coyotes, they're looking at us like, you guys are morons. Get the heck out of the way. You know, we're already coming over. And it has made, it has instilled so many more folks to be adamant about passing border security. So the person blowing up the pontoon boat, he look at you with a, what are you going to do about it kind of expression? Is that what you're saying? He looked at us like incredulously and like, what are you going to do about it? You know, we're coming over anyway. So just hurry up and get out of the way. Mm. Honest to God. Switching topics, you and your family go way back in education. You're noted as a real education reformer. I know the governor has been very big about school choice and school vouchers as a view. Where are we in Texas in terms of education choice? And could this be one of the laboratories that America can look to in the years to come and say, you know what, that was different, that was cutting edge, and we can now see it's working? I mean, gosh, I hope so. And that's what we're fighting for. Fundamentally, first and foremost, what we're fighting for, not just at AFP, but across the state of Texas, is to ensure that every child has a world-class education, regardless of the four walls with which they are within. So last year, education savings accounts and school choice were on the docket during our session, and we went into what we call multiple innings because there were multiple special sessions. It did not pass. And so where we stand today is that all of the Democrats and a handful of rural Republicans killed the bill on November 17th. Well, now we're in Texas primary season. So our primaries, all on Super Tuesday, that's March 5th. And what we've been doing is working with a massive coalition, but also identifying candidates to challenge some of these obstinate Republicans that are not only for Medicaid expansion and not only have done nothing to really shore up the border, not just this last cycle, but for years and stood in the way of every child having a great education. So the landscape in Texas to pass school choice might change drastically after March 5th because our goal is to change the makeup of the Texas House of Representatives. And so when that happens, what will happen? We will pass school choice next year in 2025, and I believe that it will be a break in the log jam on school choice for the rest of the country. We've got about 6 million kids here in Texas enrolled in K-12, 
And when Texas passes school choice, I really believe that's the watershed moment for the rest of the country. So let's talk politics for a second. The March primary is coming up. I think it's not going to be any surprise that the former president, Donald Trump, is <laughs> doing very well in the state of Texas. In that primary, I think Joe Biden, President Biden, has kind of a walkover in the primary. What races should America look at, either in the primary or those to come, beyond the Ted Cruz reelection, obviously, for Senate, that yeah. will kind of show not only where Texas is going, but possibly the nation? Yep. There are some really interesting races in South Texas, you know, with the Hispanic voter population being almost like 90 percent Hispanic, if not more. Congressional District 15 flipped for the first time in 100 years in the midterms by now Congresswoman Monica de la Cruz. That's one to continue to keep your eye on. The district next door, Congressional District 34, the former congressman, that was in Congressional District 15. His name is Vicente Gonzalez. He knew that he was getting redistricted out of his seat. And so he just went literally next door, 45 minutes away, and ran for that seat. And now Congresswoman Myra Flores, she is running for, I guess it's a redo, how you might say it, from the mm -hmm. midterm election. And I don't know if, how close that race is going to get. It's right now about a D plus 10. But she is the woman that could actually make it like a D plus five or a D plus three, or if the right tailwinds are there, mm -hmm. she could flip that seat. And that would be tectonic level shifts in the Hispanic electorate that I believe really ricochet up and out of Texas as the Hispanic voter bloc is really coming into their own voice instead of just being sold a dream from Democrats. The thing is looked at is, decidedly moving red, if you look at the political map. And yet you go back to, say, the last uh, re-election for Ted Cruz against Beto O'Rourke. He won by, I think, four or five points, but at times looked very, very close. Is there a potential for that state to become a true melting pot of politics moving forward? Or do you think the die is cast, especially with people coming into the state that may be more conservative, possibly more Republican, that's going to be in play for a while? Yeah, anecdotally, what I can share in 2018, when both Ted Cruz and Governor Abbott were on the ballot, Governor Abbott, his team did exit polling, and they asked two questions. One, did you vote for Ted Cruz or Beto O'Rourke? And two, are you from Texas or are you from California? And the data that they got said that the Californians overwhelmingly elected Ted Cruz, which means that this inward migration that we're getting from across the country these are refugees seeking freedom. These are folks that actually want less regulation, less taxes, lower cost of living, more friendly business and cultural atmosphere, and that people are really kind of fleeing here because of our actual culture and our belief systems. So I think that you're going to see we continue to get more and more conservative. There are areas in urban cities that are going to be Democrat strongholds. El Paso, for example, Austin is pretty far gone. They elected progressives. So we have our first progressive member of Congress from Austin. That's not gonna change in the near term, but what's interesting is that Houston is changing over and it's getting more purple. It was very blue and now it's becoming indigo. It's kind of getting purple. And we're gonna see those changes 
uh, at the local level. And I think that's going to trickle up into the state level. With the way that Republicans govern, limited government, low taxes, business-friendly environment, limited regulations, low cost of living compared to the rest of the country, and space, it makes for a pretty dynamic and compelling message for conservatism uh, in this state to continue to take root. So you're saying basically people that are coming in, Genevieve, are self-selecting based on those values and that approach and that kind of, you might say, philosophy of government. So I couldn't end this interview without going into your past a little bit. And I want to know what it took, the grit and courage for you when you were on the rowing team and were going up against some of the greatest powers that were, from the, especially from the Ivy League. Yeah. And you had two dislocated ribs, but you powered through. I think you took fifth in the final competition. What is it about you that got <laughs> you into the boat so broken up physically? You know, I was a competitive shooter. I shot skeet and sporting clays in high school. And then I started the rowing team at my high school just because I thought it looked cool. And turns out a very unathletic woman at the time, uh, turns out I had an aptitude to row. And I got recruited to the University of Tennessee where I was there during the Pat Summit years. And as a recruited athlete, you're expected to compete for the national championship every year. Every year. And we did. And my first and third ribs popped out um, on the last day of my senior year of the NCAA championship final. And I'll never forget, like, they gave me a belt and said, you know, bite down as they pushed my ribs back in. And I was like, I'm not going to miss this race. This is the culmination of so much hard work. And I believe that hard work pays off. And we ended up being the best boat that the University of Tennessee's ever had. And I think that probably, Adam, that whole experience rowing prepared me to be in the political arena. You know, you take a lot of a lot of hits, you power forward, you have to be assertive, you have to be aggressive, and you have to take no prisoners and go all the way to the finish line. Well, you know, when you ran for Congress, it was great television, I think, that you produced when you did the oh. spot entitled 100% Texan. I'm Genevieve Collins, and I thought I'd share what it means to me to be 100% Texan. First of all, you gotta be from here. This is the house I grew up in. My family's been in Texas for seven generations. My grandmother, Calvert, was actually the first woman ever elected to the Dallas City Council back in 1957. She was remarkable, but more about her another time. Second, to be 100% Texan, you have to like limited government and lower taxes. As a small businesswoman, I've helped grow a Dallas-based company from 36 employees. Hey guys. Hey, it's almost 300, so I know what it takes to create jobs. Let me tell you, it ain't socialism. Third, to be a Texan, this helps. Pull. Finally, and most important, you gotta understand what makes Texas special. People. And that's why I'm running for Congress, to serve you. I'm Genevieve Collins, and I approve this message, because I'm 100% Texan and always will be. Outside, looking at that statement, 100% Texan, right? Might say, well, that's a little bit, you know, whatever. But Texas in Texas, it's an attitude that doesn't feel braggadocio. It's an attitude that seems to be a part of everyone who lives there. Yeah. I mean, there's, we were being Texan as a badge of honor. 
you know, there's there's this innate sense of optimism, entrepreneurism, and that kind of goes back to our history of wildcatters and the the folks that found Spindle Top and you know the courage of all of the soldiers that have come out of the state of Texas. I think we have the most Medal of Honor winners in the country, right? And there's just this belief that in Texas, if you can dream it, you can do it. And that is something to be proud of and something that we should be exporting around the rest of the country. And that's why I'm at AFP and trying to sell this uh, to the rest of the country. This is a place that you wanna be because people are engaged, people care about their communities and want to find ways to continue to win and push these values, which are freedom, opportunity, prosperity, out to not only the rest of the country, but the rest of the world. Is that one of the lessons you learned when you ran for Congress? I mean, you ran against a, a very tough Democratic opponent. It was a close race. Engaging with people, you learned a lot. You know, the best part about running for Congress for me, it's not just meeting the people. You're 100% right. The people across most of these districts are just wonderful. But what I found is I reflected back on my experience. I lost on November 5th, 2020, but I didn't really lose because I was 34 at the time. And as I reflected, I had challenged every belief system that I had. I had defended my beliefs. I've challenged my beliefs. And at the conclusion of that kind of 18 month campaign, I was a I was completely resolute within myself. And that is such a gift for anyone at any age to be able to investigate who you are, why you are, why you believe the things that you do, and then broadcast that out to a larger community and seek challenge, seek openness, have that humility and become resolute. I mean, that's the ultimate gift and it makes any fight that I'm dealing with now with AFP and what we're trying to do and advocate for across the state of Texas, it makes it all so much easier. And what a blessing. So Genevieve, the toughest question you might've gotten during the campaign, you were an undergraduate rather at the University of Tennessee. You got your business degree from, from SMU. So here's the question. Are you a Tennessee volunteer? Are you an SMU Mustang? Or are you something beyond that? How do you politic that answer? <laughs> Listen, I I am a lady vol through and through. You'll see behind me uh, right there, that's four-year varsity letter winners with all of my senior teammates. I have given blood, sweat, tears, and a whole lot of hard work for the University of Tennessee. And I'm incredibly proud to be a lady vol. That means something. Pat Summit means something. Joan Cronin, the women's athletic director, to be a part of that legacy and to be a strong woman holding that torch. I'm a lady vault all day. I love my ponies. I serve on boards at SMU, but I bleed orange and I bleed bright orange. Well, Genevieve, what you've done at your young tender age, oh. of, we'll call it under 40, is amazing. <laughs> I think in a way it's a role model for a lot of young Americans, not just young Texans, but a lot of young Americans who are looking for ways to feel more involved and more connected to the future that you're going to inherit. And Americans for Prosperity and the things that you've been fighting for, a lot of people uh, believe in, and it's not just a Republican ideology or a conservative ideology, it's a reform-minded ideology, which basically says, let's look at everything we've been doing that isn't quite working and figure out how to do it better. Continue on, continue the fight, broken ribs or not, don't ever give up 
And thank you very much for being a guest, a special guest on 13th and Park. Thank you, my friend. God bless you. Remember to subscribe today and hit the bell so you never miss another episode of the show with that trademark opener from Washington, D.C. It's 13th and Park.